the sense of like having to take care of that person, the sense of walking on eggshells around that person. So let's say the person's depressed and I walk in the house and I'm really happy I had a great day. You know, if I'm starting to feel like I can't share that with that person, like I feel bad for sharing it with that person, then that's that's a sense of enmeshment and codependence with that with that person. Welcome everybody to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebil Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome everybody to this episode of Codependency. Yes, and I have a conversation with a reoccurring guest, my dear friend and colleague, Corey Costanzo. And we take a dive into the topic of codependency. Many people know that term, but may not know how that really shows up and how it affects families and relationships. So let me tell you a little bit about Corey. Those of you that haven't listened to a past podcasts, Like I said, he is a colleague. He is a licensed addiction counselor. He is also a somatic experiencing practitioner. He is also a licensed massage and bodywork therapist specialized in Esla Massage. And he is the co-owner of Still Point Wellness Spa here in Asheville. And he is one hell of a master didgeridoo player too. So like I said, in this episode, we dive into topics like what is a dysfunctional family and how does it lead to codependency? Also, characteristics of codependent people. How do codependent people behave? We also use the terminology of enmeshment and differentiation and how that shows up. And signs to identify codependency. So in our conversation, you know, we really stress that the first step in changing unhealthy behavior is to actually understand it. That's why we really wanted to have this conversation. And it's a big topic, and we realized at the end that we really want to do more and dive deeper into this issue of codependency. So there will be more podcasts to come with Corey on this subject. Okay, folks, so here we go. Codependency. Let's talk about it. My man, my man, we are back at it. I'm so excited to be here right now. This is a topic that I have been so jazzed about lately. Yeah, why is that? It keeps showing up in the work that I do. I don't know if it's um, because of COVID or what, but... My practice, my private practice has doubled since COVID started and I'm seeing more families now where I am really diving into the family system and the family structure, the physical kind of structures of the family, the energetic structures of the family, the unspoken stuff, the subconscious stuff. It's been, it's been a wild ride. So I've been really diving into the codependency literature because there's just so much enmeshment in family systems that trip people up. And I'm super excited to talk about it today with you, Prepo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, I see it a lot with working with couples of 
you know, the healthy side that I try to work with is getting them to mutual dependence and not codependence. And I know that's a lot of words that we're putting out, but do they ever ask you like, well, what the hell is codependency, Corey? Like, you know, you might say that, that we have codependency tendencies. What would you tell people that codependency is? What I typically say is that it's a learned behavior that can be passed down from one generation to another. It's an emotional and behavioral condition that affects an individual's ability to have healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. Hmm. Yeah, right. That, that's it right now. It's just passed down because it's a learned behavior, right? So they learn it usually in their family system. That's right. So yeah. what's really ironic about it is that when somebody learns that behavior when they're a child and they witness that behavior in their parents, then it actually feels comfortable to be in a codependent relationship. They model that when they become adults. Mm -hmm. People in a codependent relationship, they're getting something out of that, right? If there's a person, usually codependency also came from the addiction model. So in a way when, if there is a addictive person, usually let's say it's a parent, the child ends up being codependent. They feel in some sense that they are taking care of that person by some of their actions, by some of their collusion, by some of their not really speaking up or being a really good boy or being a really good girl. So in, in some sense, they, they get something out of from those codependency tendencies that's actually turns out to be dysfunctional. That's right. And it all starts with good intentions. You know, people want to take care of other people because that, that's how they were raised and, and it feels good to them. You know, that's when they get the little biochemical squirts, you know, when they make others happy. And, you know, the issue is that when it becomes compulsive and defeating and, you know, typically a codependent person that will take on a martyr's role and become kind of benefactors to an individual in need. Right? So like a wife might cover for her alcoholic husband, a mother might make excuses for a truant child, or a father might pull some strings to keep his child from suffering the consequences of delinquent behavior. These, these kind of things, consequences of codependent behavior. So do you see a lot of that showing up? Right, You said you're seeing a lot of that show up right now. Like what delinquent behavior would be showing up from that standpoint? I would say the kind of behavior like drugs and alcohol. And, you know, th there's an age appropriate experimentation with drugs and alcohol from teenagers. And that's one thing. But then when you have a teenager that is staying out all night, not coming back, that's taking it to a whole new level. When you have a, a kid that's failing out of school because they don't want to get out of bed because they're hungover from the night before, that's that's considered truant, truant behavior. And that's, that's when there's a real problem. So does that also mean that, let's say uh, an adolescent teenager is doing that, if the parent's not really naming what's causing that behavior, like in the dysfunction of the family, then they're just pinning it on the kid's behavior, right? As opposed to the cause might be, you know, not being able to speak about what's really going on in the family. If there's substance abuse, if there's um, a lot of conflict, potential divorce in the family, like those are the dysfunctional issues that's not being addressed and talked about, but just the behavior now is focused. 
And that, that, that's the, the loop of also the codependent from the parent standpoint, because they're not even addressing their own issues. And I see that so often in, in family systems where there'll be tension in the family system. So this is like energy psychology. There's tension in the family system and it winds up coming out sideways. Many times parents, they keep secrets and, and they might not overtly share with the children that they're having issues. And then it winds up coming out sideways because kids feel that stuff. And if there's not proper attunement between the parents and the children, then, then it's gonna come out in, in some other way because it's hard to be around parents that are going through so much conflict and they're not naming the conflict. It's almost, um, there's a tension inside that, that needs to get released or relieved in some kind of way. So yeah, I mean, just imagine a teenager that takes his first hit of weed or first shot of tequila, you know, and all that tension just slips away within the matter of seconds. So what would be the healthy pattern to try to find that relief in those instances instead of going towards unhealthy behavior like substance? I would say parents getting their shit together. <laughs> I would say parents spending time with their children. Yeah. Do, yeah. do, you, know what I, do you know what I think too is like parents being able to deal with their own freaking emotions so that they can deal with their kids' emotions. Right. You know, I think like that's probably, I'm gonna just put it out, I think like that's probably if, if you parents are listening, if there's a dynamic around that, or if you are in any kind of relation that feels dysfunction, if you can take care of your own emotions so that you can make room for the other person's emotions, that's gonna get you more out of the cycle of codependency than anything else. Right, and it all stems to support and resources. And that might be a chat with a trusted friend, that might be the Headspace meditation app or any other kind of. And, and you don't have any financial no. uh, take in that sucker, but you just <laughs> love that baby. You just, you, there's no sponsor on it. Uh, no, uh, yeah. I do it every morning for yeah. the last, I don't know, three years plus. I've been doing it every single morning and it is such a huge resource for me. So yeah, that's why I, I plug Headspace whenever I can. Any kind of meditation practice, especially if you can develop a meditation teacher, I mean, that really takes it to a whole nother level and that's what the app does for me. Hmm. But you know, I wanna, I wanna talk about, um, I wanna talk about dysfunctional families for a moment because um, it's good to just kind of have an idea of, of, of what a dysfunctional family is. So a dysfunctional family is basically one in which members of the family suffer from fear, anger, pain, or shame that's ignored or denied. Anger, pain, shame. Fear. Fear that's denied. So that's not brought up, not talked about, not named. Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Boy, that's, that's, that's about 90% of the population right there. Right. So, you know, those, those family structures don't acknowledge that problems exist. What do you think they're so afraid of in acknowledging that it, that it exists? I, I think it's more of uh, modeling from their families of origin. And a lot of folks in our culture have this sense of keeping up with the Joneses, 
a sense of shame if I don't get it exactly right. You know, with social media nowadays, that's really heightened and intensified. I think that's a big one, what you said around shame. If people feel that they're inadequate in navigating through conflict and they don't do it right, they're not going to attempt to do it at all. They're going to totally avoid it. Right. They're not going to talk about the problems. They're not going to confront them. And as a result, family members learn to repress emotions and disregard their own needs. Whew. Disregarding their own. That's, that's the big part. Like to look at if somebody is codependent, that's one of the questions to ask them. Am I disregarding my own needs? Am I not expressing my own needs? I just did a podcast a few weeks ago about expressing needs and I think that's so, so important that we understand that when we're not understanding of our needs, then we're gonna just kind of chameleon into the other person's needs or the family's needs. And we're not even gonna know what our own identity is. Right, and dysfunctional families also develop behaviors that help them deny, ignore, or avoid difficult emotions. They basically detach themselves. They don't talk, they don't touch, they don't confront, they don't feel, they don't trust. And that's because they're afraid of that connection. If they're not doing those kind of things and they're not being intimate, because on the level of what they need in intimacy about talking about what's real, what's true, then it probably even feels really fake to do those things, to, to touch, to talk, when they're not talking the real shit. And from an energy perspective, members of a dysfunctional family will need to push away the other members because it almost hurts to come towards somebody if you're gonna get screamed at, if you're gonna experience a sense of fear or contraction, if you're gonna be ignored or, or shamed in the family, then there's gonna be not enough of safety to come towards and attune with other family members or there might be collusion between family members against other family members because that's what you need to do to really stay alive in the family system. So you see triangulation start to happen between siblings or even worse, sometimes between a parent and a child yeah. against another parent. That's a hallmark of a dysfunctional family is when, is when you see that happening. And of course, we know that that happens not only when the family's intact, but that definitely happens when the family is broken in, in a divorce. There's a lot of that triangulation that's going on and parents hear that over and over about how detrimental that is. But I know from a, from a kid's standpoint, being a, a child of a, a divorced parents, that was really detrimental in my history of taking care of one parent or trying to take care of both parents it wasn't on purpose that they did that of triangulating with me or, or my sister, but uh, giving that responsibility to the child to take care of another parent's emotions or relay feelings or relay needs or wants from one of the families, that's a huge trick bag that, that just takes the confusion and the codependency to another level. Was there a time that you can remember where that actually did happen to you in your family of origin? It happened constantly throughout the divorce. You know, I know I was 12 years old and I just remember my father had a really hard time 
with the divorce, even though he was part of wanting it in the beginning, he wasn't processing his, his own emotions and wasn't really speaking to it, but became really depressed. So I compensated by taking care of him more because he was like the sicker one. My mother had different relationships, started seeing her now husband, my stepfather. And so she was in another relationship. And so she was getting her needs met in, in that way. So I compensated by taking care of my father more. And I would say like siding with him in, in that way. And I know that was really hurtful and challenging to my mom and ended up being detrimental to our relationship that had to be healed over the years. You know, that's a very common pitfall that a lot of people make in family systems. And when that happens and the attention and the energy focus on the family member who's ill or in some other family systems addicted, the codependent person typically sacrifices his or her needs to take care of a person who's sick. And when that person places other people's health and welfare and safety before their own, they can lose contact with their own needs and desires and self and sense of self. Yeah, I would say that, that that's probably what, would, what happened to me too. I, I lost contact with my own needs and trying to figure out what was the needs of them, especially my father's like, well, you know, how to make their pain go away. When I was a freaking just kid, man, I was 12 years old. It was like, no, make my pain go away, right? I had a discussion the other day with my mother and she said what hurt her the most when she heard me say, hey, I'm not the one that asked for the divorce. When she heard me say that, she mm -hmm. said it was so painful for her. And I think, oh, many, many kids feel that. They're not the ones that ask for it. So the parents have to really put aside their dysfunction in many ways to be able to attune into the child's pain around something that they didn't ask for. Was there anything that that you weren't getting at that age that upon looking back, you kind of wish that you would have gotten? Well, yeah, I think in some way, you know, some more adult energy around taking care of me and my emotional needs. Somebody, yeah, I think at that time there wasn't really people in my family that was really versed into really navigating, openly discussing with me. I did have an uncle that was a psychologist at the time and he would take me out and we would talk and he was open, but there wasn't like this really versed part of teaching me how to express my emotions in a way that was normalized, validated. I never felt like what my underlying anger was was validated. So I think that, that what I really need that I didn't get was some attention around my acceptance from an adult standpoint of what I was going through. Do you think that when you were that age, you would have been able to name that? No, I remember, I remember sitting, you know, they, my parents sent me to a therapist and <laughs> we were just talking, you yeah. know, I did what, what you experienced at times with teenagers and I didn't talk, you know, like I spent the whole session, like not, I never learned how to talk about my emotions in, in that way in a safe container. So I would have loved to have that more growing up so that I can do that at the times of, let's say, crisis. I learned that afterwards when I was more like 16, 17 to mm -hmm. be able to do that. Yeah. 
when I was more differentiated in that way. But no, I didn't learn that. Yeah, when I work with teenagers in families that are going through a divorce or or dysfunctional families, many times building rapport with that teenager is where the work is at. And I'll spend months, you know, having weekly sessions with a teenager where, you know, we're talking about things that he or she really enjoys doing. The way I see it is that is that our nervous systems are attuning with one another. And what I'm trying to do is be that non-partial, non-judgmental, no, no skin in the game adult, you know, healthy adult nervous system that's like constantly self-regulating during a session that's modeling this sense of calm and ease. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes with teenagers, it's kind of like ninja counseling, you know? Right. It's like with teenagers, I won't go right for it, you know? I won't, sometimes I kind of have to and, more often than not, when I ask those questions and I go too fast, then I'm met with resistance. You know, so it's a it's a longer term approach, especially with teenagers from struggling families and dysfunctional families. And then at some point it turns. And then at some point I see a little opening, a little curiosity from the teenager yeah. in, in, in some way, shape, or form. It happened a few months ago with a teenager that that like something slipped out of his mouth, like about about a girl that he liked or something like that. And I was like, oh, I jumped all over it. And I was like, ah, oh, well, let me coach you through that. So what was that like for you? And he was so into it. And at the end of the session, he was like, wow, that was really cool. You know, like kind of ask some reflective questions to kind of help him take a look within. Yeah. And then, you know, that was the beginning of a deepening relationship and trust where we're now starting to get get deeper. Yeah, I think I would have liked, you know, when you brought up again, that, that reminds me of what I would have needed. You know, at 12 or 13, I had my own issues as a, you know, middle schooler and so forth with, with you know, acne and being, being seen by girls and so forth. I would have loved more somebody giving the attention in those areas of my life than just the divorce because it felt so heavy to just talk about the divorce. Mm. But like you said, an adult that's there regulating the nervous system instead of me having to know I've got to take a pulse of taking care of that other person. And that shows up, you know, a lot in couples, you know, relationships. Because I think, you know, we've been talking about the family system. Now, an aspect of like an adult relationship that I see a lot working with couples, how one partner feels that they have to constantly take care of the other person. If the other person is moody, they're not, you know, up to par, they've got some issue, they got anger issues. If you've grown up in a codependent family, you're gonna take those tendencies and really make sure that other person is, their needs are met before yours. And after a while, you don't even know what your own needs are. So a lot of my clients that are codependent, a lot of people that that I come across that have that tendency too, they don't even know what their needs are. They don't even, they can't fathom to even speak to it because they're so concerned that if the other person is okay, they're okay. Right. You know, I recently broke that cycle in myself because I consider myself to be on that codependent spectrum as well you know, from family of origin troubles, dysfunction in my family of origin led me to experience love addiction, uh, codependency. And 
and I've re I recently cracked the code and I want to talk about it. I don't think I've even shared this with no, you. No, because I want to hear about that one time that you told me about some breakup that you had, like was a real codependent like breakup when you were younger. Oh uh, man, I got my heart twisted <laughs> so many times. Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. well, go ahead and tell right, maybe me. Maybe later. Yeah. So this was just, just a couple of weeks ago. My wife was, was teaching an online version of a trauma and Esalen massage workshop. It was the first time that, that, that she was doing this workshop in this format and it was a lot of work. She had to produce videos for the demos. She had to take her content and her PowerPoint slides and tweak them. And they're like, I don't know, 70 slides or something like that. I mean, it took her like a whole week and she was really stressed out about it. And there was one, uh, there was one afternoon where I had to leave and she asked me to make her some food, but I was like right out the door and she got really upset with me. And, and I noticed it and I noticed my blood start to boil. Steam started coming out of my ears and all I wanted to do was just cut her off. Like all I wanted to do is, was put up the wall and just walk away. And I felt myself like needing to cope with that sense of, of fleeing, that sense of disconnection. And I stopped myself and I just thought, huh, she's needing me to connect right now. That's what she's needing. And I don't want to do this to her or to myself, you know, make matters worse, like the old pattern. So I just stopped. I looked at her. I gave her a hug and I just said, sweetie, I have to go. If you would have told me 20 minutes ago, I would have been so happy to make you something. But right now I really have to go. And I just gave her, you know, I, I gave her a hug and I just, and I just left. And I really feel like she was still upset. She was still upset. However, I didn't take it on. And that broke the code. Not taking it on. Not taking it on. And that's the enmeshment that you mentioned before. That's, that's what codependency is. It's like my emotions are dependent on the other person feeling a certain way. Right. And for the first time in a really long time, I was able to let her have her feelings and emotions and not get pulled down the rabbit hole of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a wonderful experience when we can just witness our partner or somebody close to us, their own emotional world without trying to fix it, change it, make it better. You know, I tell people it's like bypass them don't try to reduce their anxiety or their disappointment or their upset and just go and self-soothe your own self so that you can witness the other person's emotions because right there that's what's called folks differentiated it's getting out of the enmeshed cycle it's a healthy sense of yourself so that you can stay connected to the other person and that's holding on to yourself it's not holding on to them to feel better you know, one thing that we didn't mention, and we probably should have right in the beginning, is that codependency doesn't only happen in family systems where there is a person who's addicted to, to drugs or alcohol. It also happens with people that are experiencing chronic pain and suffering and also mental illness. Hmm. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little more? Like... Uh, Let's speak to the one about mental illness. When there's a 
identified person in the family that has a mental illness, how would codependency show up in that way? The sense of like having to take care of that person, the sense of walking on eggshells around that person. So let's say the person's depressed and I walk in the house and I'm really happy I had a great day. You know, if I'm starting to feel like I can't share that with that person, like I feel bad for sharing it with that person, then that's that's a sense of enmeshment and codependence with that with that person. Right. Yeah. So what would that person do who wants to share that? They find different avenues to have that relationship with other people that they feel acknowledged and validated, get their own self-soothing. Because I think that it could be a real challenge when you feel kind of trapped that you can't share your joys because somebody else can't feel them or they're gonna make it all about them and not acknowledge or inquire into your own joy. So one part is to make sure that you do have those other connections so that you're not so focused and wedded to getting some type of acknowledgement from a source that will not be able to give it to you. And you see that a lot in dysfunctional families where there's a sense of isolation so yeah, it's really important for partners and for kids and the adults in the family to really have have their own lives, you know, have their friends and things that they like to do that's outside the house, that's outside the relationship, you know, going on a hike or whatever it is, either alone or with a friend or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's a big decision with people, let's say they're in partnership when you know, one person kind of puts their foot down and say, I am going to have other friends. I am going to go and be in a book club. You know, when the partnership is so enmeshed and so codependent that one partner feels if there's other connections, that that's a tremendous threat to the relationship. If folks, if you're in that kind of relationship, you got to really take a look at that. And you're not moving away from the relationship if you're creating other connections. What you're doing is you're trying to bring health into that primary relationship by having those other connections so you can bring more of a healthy sense of yourself in your primary relationship. That's right, it brings juice, mm -hmm. you know? Robin just recently, my wife Robin just recently started taking a pottery class and when she comes back from that pottery class, she looks so good. Mm. She's got a huge smile on her face. She's wearing the overalls and she's got all sorts of clay all over her. And she just, she's vibrant. She's glowing. And um, I find that very attractive. Yeah. In fact, by her doing that, it helps me to want to kind of find the juice for myself in my life. Were you ever, when you were younger in other relationships where that was a threat to you, when the, your partner would be doing something that had nothing to do with you? No, never. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was a teenager, I went through I went through that, you know, the jealousy phase and all that, but there was a point in my mid-20s where I really realized that being jealous and possessive is just not the way the way to a happy life and a happy relationship and I really let that go and I had more the mindset that like, you know, I'm just going to let my partner do what my partner needs to do. And if my partner comes back to me, then great. You know, 
we'll just keep growing and moving together. And if my partner turns in another direction, then I know that that's not the ultimate partner for me. And I'm sure at that point, that's about working on yourself to get self-worth, self, that sense of self, self-confident. That's right. Because when we don't have that, whatever you just said, which is, you know, I'm okay if my partner, I will be okay if they choose another direction. People that are so enmeshed and codependent, they don't feel that because they don't have that, that agency and sense of themselves. So working on self-worth is so, so vital in That's order right. to get out of the codependent enmeshment. That's right. Some other characteristics of codependent people are an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others. How would that show up in some ways? An exaggerated, you said, sense of responsibility for the actions of others. Right. It's like um, if I'm a parent and I've got an enmeshed or codependent relationship with my kid, then it's like, okay, if my kid gets an A on the test, then I feel really good. If my kid gets a C on the test, I feel angry and, 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 and you know, like I'm not a good enough parent. Right. I didn't do enough. Yeah. You know, that exaggerated part I think is key, you know, that, that cycle of ups and downs around something that should get a normal understanding is, is really exaggerated. Yeah. I think also a tendency to, let's say, confuse love and pity with the tendency to love people that they can pity and rescue. That's a interesting one because a lot of people go after the person that they really pity and they think that that's, love and they try to rescue them, be the hero, and that never works out well at all. That's right. At some point, that strategy is going to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's also, you know, a tendency to do more of their share all of the time. So like picking up the slack of whatever it is in the household chores or being a workaholic because they feel that they have to pick up the whole slack of the financial responsibility of the house. Right, and then they become hurt when people don't recognize their efforts. Yeah, that's that's a big one, right? That martyr, that yeah. martyrdom. Yeah. yeah. And, and one of that is they're not even asking for themselves to be recognized. You know, I think it is good to have that appreciation practice in, in people's families and their partnership, but when we're not asking in some way to be recognized or to have that part of the, the relationship, that comes a low-grade resentment, and therefore there is that underlying mm. codependent tendency. Problems with intimacy and boundaries, that's also a hallmark of codependency. Yeah, you know, I think uh, a lot of codependency shows up in people's sex lives. I love giving this example. It's a innocuous example in somebody's sex life, but when let's say two people are are spooning in, in 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 bed, one person spoons the other person. Let's say that person that has been spooned moves away, and the other person feels like, Gee, and they just turn over and they huff and puff and they don't say anything. Right there, that's codependent, as opposed to. <laughs> If, you, if you're the one that spooned that other person and they moved away, a differentiated moment would be to say, hey, I just want to check in you right now. I just spooned you. I just pressed up against you. You moved away. 
what I'm making up in my mind is you don't want me to text you. You don't want to have sex. Can you tell me what's going on? Like that is a huge different scenario of codependency and enmeshment right in that happens such in a normal, <laughs> you're shaking it. It's like, me too, man. It's like, man, that, how many hundreds of times have that happened if to I would have known, if you would have came down <laughs> from the heavens and whispered that in my ear when I was in high school and right. in my 20s, uh, that would have saved me so much suffering, man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. What mm. other ways does it show up? I think it also can show up, uh, of course, with the like, fear of being abandoned and and alone. And I think that's why a lot of people, of course, stay in codependent relationships because of that fear of, of abandonment and the fear of themselves being alone, themselves feeling abandoned. Totally. Anger, when a lot of anger chronically comes up. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good sign that there might be that you might be on that codependent spectrum. Now, this is a spectrum, also. I just right. really I just really want to name that. You know, I mean, some of it is normalized. I mean, yeah. it, we all get angry, but yeah, like difficulty making decisions. I know I have difficulty making decisions, but I'm if I'm chronically having a difficulty making decisions, that means I don't know a sense of myself that I'm maybe thinking, Ooh, I shouldn't do that because my partner might get upset or it might not get the approval of this person, or maybe I'm going to make the wrong decision instead of just making a decision and then making another decision based on my decision. Yeah. Right. So that shows up a lot when people are paralyzed in moving forward in their decisions. And you know, if you're listening and some of this, some of this is resonating with you, I would encourage you to get some, get some resources. Uh, There's a book out there, Codependent No More. It's actually written in the eighties, in the mid eighties. It's Mm -hmm. a great book. Um, There's also another one, Facing Love Addiction by Pia Melody. Mm -hmm. That's another great one. Yeah. This Al-Anon also is a wonderful resource that I point people towards all the time, which is like 12-step model of recovery for uh, people who have had addicts in their lives that they need some some help navigating those relationships. So if family of origin, if there was an addicted household that you grew up in, or if right now you have a partner that's going battling some addiction or mental illness, or chronic pain, and it's you know causing some disharmony in, in the family system or or in your life. Yeah, check out check out an Al-Anon meeting. Mm-hmm. They have them online now, and you know this framework or context can really help you to to really, really understand help, what's going on. It really helps people stay on their side of the net. I call it you right. know, to know what's their stuff and what's the other person's stuff, because you know it's interesting. One characteristic that I see show up a lot is a sense of guilt when they're asserting themselves, when they want to assert their needs or their desires, when a sense of guilt comes up for doing that instead of celebration or alignment, that's a big sign um, that you feel like I'm not, I shouldn't be doing this. And I feel guilty for doing this. A lot of parents that are codependent with their kids, when they're saying, you know, I'm going to go out and have a good time, or I'm going to go out maybe even take a couple of days to myself or go on a vacation without the kids, they feel really guilty, you know, right. with that and that because the, they're asserting their needs. Yeah. Another common sign is difficulty taking compliments or mm. receiving gifts. 
You know, it's kind of like an underlying sense of unworthiness. Yeah, if you're anyone's experiencing that, that's kind of a that's kind of a red flag there or, or a red balloon for for mm-hmm. codependent well, pattern. You know, another thing I want to say about about these codependent patterns, they could be either scary for somebody to start realizing this, or it could be very freeing. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I just hit the bullseye. That's what it is. Right. So we're we're naming these things not to freak you out, not to right. for you to go, holy shit, I do this, but instead of go like, whoa, I I I have this tendency. Now I need to be more aware of it when I do it because bringing it to the consciousness is where change takes place. Absolutely. And yeah. that's where headspace meditation comes <laughs> in. <laughs> blah, blah, man. That's right. Hey, what do you think about like uh, people that have difficulty or maybe they're rigid in adjusting to, to change? You know, I see that a lot when people are like, no, no, I don't want to try something new. You know, because the fear of, the unknown because a lot of times in a codependent family there's there's a lot of that fear of unknown what's going to happen how am i going to be i'm not going to be able to respond well to my situation so then a lot of people have fear of change that makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know we didn't even mention that if you've ever lived with someone with an alcohol or a drug problem or you've ever experienced domestic abuse Someone's, you know, in relationships, you know, physically hit you or belittles belittles you, emotional abuse. I mean, that's some of the big, big, big hallmarks of signs of codependency. Yeah. I mean, even right now, we're trying to get out of our codependent relationship, even with with our government in some way. We're we're realizing that, you know, Big Daddy's not always going to be there to save us in, in that way. And, you know... You know, we see that with aspects of uh, racial injustice or climate change that we have to take it upon ourselves to feel what's, what's what we need to do ourselves to exert our needs and not, again, depend on, because in some way, government is the big parents. And if we just rely on them to do the right thing, then we're giving away our power. Mm. And I think that's what happens also in codependency is giving away our power in that way. And that's yeah. showing up a lot. Yeah, and you know, getting involved in uh, local government is a great way to take power back, man. Did I tell you I did that a couple of weeks ago? Well, yeah, you you funked out on we were going to do a podcast and you canceled out because you said that you had to speak at the yeah yeah. I went and I knocked it out of the park, man. I got up in front of the commission, I spoke my piece, and sure enough, uh, there was a four to three vote for the big hundred and fifty five unit development that was going to, that was going to be put up on my cute little old country road that I live on got struck down. Wow. Yeah, man. It was amazing. I'll tell you the details later tonight. Yeah. Good. I was like on the news and all that. It was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I felt really, really empowered. And, um, you know, and that builds efficacy when you do things like that, you feel empowered that you know that you could do something like that again in the future. You could stand up for what you believe in. You stand up for your needs. And I think when we do more and more of that, we know that we can do more of it in the future and we encourage other people to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's cliche, but baby steps to success Mm -hmm. with that, you know, you start with, once I started to start with just little things where I was standing up for myself, you know, more and more and more, I developed the self-esteem, you know, to be able to, to really stand in my truth and stand in my power. 
hey, you know what's coming up for me too? A big one that I think everybody can identify with about identifying a sign of codependency is if you have trouble saying no when asked for for help. Mm, Man, right? And a lot of times we end up with it being really passive aggressive, you know, big pile of dishes or something. And somebody says, you want some help? No, I don't want any help. And you, you know, you want some freaking help, you know, and you're not saying it. And then you have more underlying resentment. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a big one of like really asking for help. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes it's so tricky and sneaky and it just comes out of nowhere for me, you know? You know, I said earlier, yeah, I've got the key that kind of cracked the code to my codependency in my relationship. And also I'll say that it sneaks back in every now and again, you know? So it's just really being able to be aware of this stuff. And, you know, again, like there's a spectrum, you know? You know, you might just touch into some of these, you know, some of these things that we're talking about might resonate with you. You know, you might, you might align yourself with a few of them, you know, it's, it's more about being aware of when this is happening in, in relationships. And that's how I think you could really use the information in this podcast and this conversation as ways to make your relationship better is just by the simple act of turning towards what, what's happening in, in your relationship and just using the self inquiry process, like, Hmm, how do I feel right now? How did that interaction go with my with my husband or with my wife? And especially like turning towards the uncomfortableness, right? Right. Going towards it, because that's the part of the codependency that we tend to go away from when it gets uncomfortable. And we were talking earlier, yeah, we're, we're throwing a lot out at you. I know that maybe people's heads are really swimming. There's a lot of information. But one thing that you and I talked about was like making more of a series of episodes around codependency and really breaking it down a little bit more so so people get much more of a a micro look at, at it and different parts of it so we're going to be doing more around codependency because as you're saying it shows up so much in people's lives and it can help so many families out there mm-hmm. you know understanding these patterns and dynamics and you know understanding the antidote to them where to go from here that could be the next one, you know, where to go mm-hmm. from here. You know, I recognize I've got some some codependent patterns happening in my relationship and in myself. You know, where do I go from here? Yeah, yeah that's a great one. for sure. I'm so excited about this topic. Yeah. I'm like really excited for the next one, people. Cool. Well, I know where we're going to go from here. I'm in a codependent relationship because after this podcast, you buy me dinner. I'm so excited. That's right. We're going to give me a grass-fed beef steak right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm so excited. It's been a long time since we've, we've shared a meal yeah. together mm-hmm. and I am happy to take you out tonight, buddy. Thank you. All right, brother. Hey, I really appreciate you venturing on this with me because it's a, like we said, it's a topic that uh, we need to put attention to and we need to transform it in our lives. Yeah. 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 All right, Prebo. Love you, man. I love you, baby. All right. All right. Thanks, baby. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. And before we go, I want to mention a few things. You know, it is really challenging right now with a lot of stress. There's a lot of worry in people's lives all around health issues, financial, work, global issues. So this is one reason why I made a guided meditation specifically to help people relieve that stress. So you could check out my website at prepo.com. And I have a few guided meditations up right now. 
that I think will be really beneficial to help you through some of these challenging times. And there's going to be more to come. Not just challenging times, but also more guided meditations. And if you're interested in my counseling and consulting services, you can go to my website, people.com, and you can hit the contact page and leave me a message and we'll talk about it. Also, don't forget to leave us a review if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Also, find us at Prepo Toplitsky on Instagram. Thank you, everybody, wherever you are and whatever you're going to be doing. I hope that you make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.